Chapter Eighteen of the Friendly Terrace Quartet, or Peggy Raymond at the Poplars, by Harriet Lummis Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen, Two's Company. On Saturday, Ruth got off at one o'clock. A girl who worked for a real estate man in the next block and who often fell in with Ruth on her way downtown in the morning intercepted her just as she left the store pinning her hat in place on the way i'm flushed to-day announced ruth's friend let's have luncheon at the tea-room my treat it's awfully sweet of you to ask me smiled ruth but i'm going home to luncheon you know my brother's here on leave and i want to see all of him that i possibly can of course you do the other cried heartily we'll go over to the tea-room another saturday they've the nicest deviled crabs there that i've ever eaten ruth made no answer for at the moment she caught sight of her car she shot toward the corner turning as she climbed aboard to wave her hands crabs as though crabs or anything else could tempt her to miss a minute of graham's society luncheon was ready when ruth reached home but the table was set for two ruth turned a blank face to her mother why where's graham he's gone out somewhere with peggy dear but-but he's coming home to luncheon isn't he he told me not to expect him if he wasn't here by one o'clock i imagine he's taking peggy out somewhere it's their last day together you know ruth did not reply but her face revealed her sense of injury the week had been a hard one for ruth every morning she had left the house a little after eight and had not gotten away from the store till five so she saw graham only in the evenings if the circumstances had been different ruth would have resigned her position for the sake of seeing more of her brother but as it was her sense of honor held her to the familiar routine she was keeping nelson hallowell's position for him she could not jeopardize nelson's chances by consulting her own preferences all through the hard week ruth had been looking forward to saturday afternoon it had never entered her mind that graham was not doing the same she had taken it for granted that the only afternoon in the week when she was free would be set apart for her especial enjoyment and now graham and peggy had gone off for a good time together without taking her into consideration ruth was hurt and bewildered her mother read her thoughts something that required no especial intuition for they were written on her face it's what all mothers and sisters have to expect ruth she said cheerily there comes a time when we count very little comparatively and you and i have reason to congratulate ourselves that graham loves a dear unselfish girl like peggy but ruth could not regard herself as open to congratulation she sat down at the table opposite her mother and made a pretense of eating it added to her sense of injury to recall the invitation she had so summarily refused and all on graham's account she had thought first of him and he had not thought of her at all ruth's pensiveness became more and more pronounced she hardly listened to her mother's conversational advances answering at random when she perceived that she was expected to say something to be angry with graham and peggy hurt intolerably and yet it seemed to her that she had a right to be angry that both of them were acting very selfishly mrs wiley watching her with mingled tenderness and exasperation could not make up her mind whether what ruth most needed was sympathy or a good shaking after luncheon ruth made a very careful toilet and sat down to await graham's return she told herself he could not possibly stay away all the afternoon he would remember that this was her half-holiday or if graham did not think surely peggy who had had him to herself all day long through the entire week would be generous enough to remind him of what he owed his sister 
Ruth had letters to write, but she left the writing desk unopened. A new book that she had been anxious to read lay on the table within reach, but she did not glance in its direction. Her hands folded in her lap, her eyes upon the clock. She gave herself up to the hardest work in the world. Mere waiting. Ruth was not in a mood to realize her own inconsistency. Only a few weeks before it had seemed to her that if she could be assured of her brother's safety, she would never complain of anything again. Now she knew that Graham was not only safe and sound, but was enjoying himself hugely into the bargain. And yet her despondency grew by leaps and bounds. At three o'clock she was unhappy. At half-past she was miserable. By four o'clock she was approaching desperation. And then, just when the relief of tears seemed imperative, she caught sight of the familiar khaki uniform outside. In an instant joy banished her resentment. She sprang to her feet and ran to open the door, beaming her glad welcome, and then as she flung the door wide, every vestige of happy anticipation ebbed away, leaving an expression of blank disappointment. Nelson Hallowell, whose face had kindled responsive to Ruth's pleasure, looked as disappointed as she. "'Good afternoon, Ruth,' he stammered. "'I... I guess you're expecting somebody.' "'I thought you were Graham,' Ruth responded lifelessly. Then at the sight of the young soldier's crestfallen air, she had the grace to feel a little ashamed of herself. "'Come in, Nelson,' she said more cordially. "'I'll come in for a minute, if you don't mind, Ruth. Just till Graham gets back.' This humility increased Ruth's vexation with herself. "'If you wait till Graham comes,' she laughed, "'it may be a long time. I don't know as we'll see him before bedtime.' And then, afraid that Nelson would recognize the bitterness in her tone, she added hastily, "'I was having an awfully stupid time all by myself, so I'm especially glad to see you.' The cordiality of this assurance seemed to banish Nelson's misgivings. He beamed at her from the armchair she had pulled out for him. "'I've been meaning to write you all the week,' he said. "'But I was afraid I couldn't do the subject justice in a letter. And really, Ruth, it's the most wonderful sweater I ever saw.' Ruth looked at him in perplexity. Her mind was still upon Graham's defection, and the divided attention she gave her caller made her a little slow to grasp the situation. "'It's a splendid warm one,' continued Nelson enthusiastically. "'And then it's so well knit.' Some of the fellows have sweaters that look as if they'd come apart on a second wearing. And when I think of your spending all that time for me, Ruth— Why, Nelson! Ruth exclaimed, awake at last. I don't know what you're talking about. Why, the sweater you knit me. I knit you? Nelson began to look troubled. I hope you didn't want to keep it a secret, Ruth. George didn't say a word. George? Yes, George Dillingham, you know. He brought it to me when he got back Sunday night, and when I asked him where it came from, he said right away that you sent it. Ruth was beginning to understand. Did he say that I sent it, or that Ruth sent it? Why, of course he said that Ruth sent it, and I— And evidently you forgot the George as a cousin Ruth. Ruth Cummings. Exactly. Ruth Cummings knit my sweater. I don't know whether she did or not, said Ruth, laughing in spite of herself. But if any Ruth knit a sweater and sent it to you, by George Dillingham, I think it must have been she. Anyway, I didn't do it. The disappointment she had seen in Nelson's face over her ungracious reception was a faint shadow of the emotion she now saw depicted on the young man's expressive countenance. Ruth forgot her sense of grievance and amusement. I'm glad it's such a nice one, she said a little teasingly. Oh, it's a good enough sweater, muttered Nelson. 
why you said just now it was the finest you ever saw well it is all right only you see i thought nelson lifted his eyes and perceiving ruth's unconcealed amusement he flushed hotly i guess i owe you an apology ruth he said uncomfortably an apology why well i took it for granted you'd made me a present and i'm sure that already you've done a thousand times more than you had any reason to of course i didn't have any ground wait nelson ruth exclaimed made uneasy by his evident embarrassment i didn't knit that sweater but i wish i had ruth cummings got ahead of me you see nelson smiled faintly but i'd like to knit the rest of your outfit the helmet and socks and wristlets you know oh ruth would you really his radiant face and eager voice touched ruth strangely she reflected that she had never known anyone so appreciative as nelson hallowell but i'm afraid they won't be knit as well as your sweater is and i'll bet they'll be knit a lot better why nelson you said yourself yes i know admitted nelson you see i thought he broke off to join in the laugh against himself and when their laughter quieted he said with a twinkle in his eye i hope that george dillingham won't repeat to his cousin all i said about her about ruth cummings well about the ruth i supposed had knit my sweater i gave him the impression that i thought her about the finest ever ruth covered her face and again gave herself up to uncontrollable laughter and from that point the call that had begun so inauspiciously went on gaily to a termination it was almost six o'clock when nelson glanced at his wristwatch and jumped to his feet say i've been staying on and on thinking graham would come in every minute where does that fellow keep himself his manner revealed his wonder that graham could remain away so long from so fascinating a sister he's somewhere with peggy ruth replied with a significant smile peggy raymond oh well she's a nice girl it seemed to ruth that there was a reservation in his tone although she had criticized peggy in her thoughts that very afternoon she did not mean that anyone else should do so she's the dearest girl in the world she declared vehemently she's very nice very nice indeed repeated nelson speaking even more judicially than before but if you ask me i shouldn't say well ruth it's my opinion that there are other girls just as nice and even a bit nicer and i don't mean ruth cummings either he was crimson in spite of his relief in getting the thing said i've got to run he exclaimed mother will be wondering what has become of me graham came in some ten minutes later his manner failing to suggest the absolute contentment which should characterize a young man who has spent the entire day with his sweetheart why didn't you bring peggy to dinner asked mr wiley with a penetration which showed that the memories of his own youth were still vivid that's what i tried to do exclaimed graham petulantly but she had an idea that we ought to have the evening together just the family you know i said everything i could think of but peggy has a stubborn streak in her she wouldn't come and she wouldn't let me stay and that ended it why that's all nonsense sympathized mr wiley we look on peggy as one of the family of course we do and for her to act as if her coming would be an intrusion it's ridiculous graham looked at his mother expectantly but for once she had failed him she was thinking of ruth's disappointment of her dejected face at luncheon it was only fair that ruth should have her brother to herself one evening out of the week but as mrs wiley avoided her son's appealing eyes ruth spoke up blithely if the table isn't set for peggy mother put on another plate i'm going for her and we'll be back in two minutes she may bluff graham but she can't bluff me 
"'You're a brick, Ruth,' Graham cried. But to Mrs. Wiley the praise seemed inadequate. She did not know which she was prouder of, the tall son who looked so big and manly in his uniform, or the daughter who had just won the victory over her own weakness. Her eyes followed the slight girlish figure as it sped across the street, and there was a tenderness in her heart that almost brought the tears. They had a very happy evening together. Peggy refused Graham's invitation for a moonlight stroll, and sat beside Ruth in the hammock, and they talked together as they had done in the days before it had occurred to any of them that sometimes two is company. Ruth was starting to knit a helmet, and as knitting by moonlight is not altogether easy for the unskilled, she gave her work rather close attention. "'There's not much danger I shall be cold on the other side,' observed Graham complacently, as he watched his sister's busy fingers. "'I can wear those things in layers, you know, one on top of the other.' "'Yes, but this won't be one of the layers,' exclaimed Ruth pertly. "'Because it's not for you.' "'What?' shouted Graham in mock indignation. "'Have you the heart to think of fitting out another fellow, when your poor brother has only five sweaters and three helmets, two very fine scarves, six pairs of socks, and three pairs of wristlets? Peggy, I call you to witness that she's gone back on me.' "'I'll bear witness that among us we've certainly spoiled you.' returned Peggy, with a smile that contradicted her words. Ruth laughed as she bent over her knitting. Her little revenge had been innocent enough so that she could be excused if she found it sweet. The soreness at her heart, which earlier in the day had seemed a permanent possession, had quite disappeared. It was astonishing what balm there was in the discovery that someone in the world thought her quite as nice, yes, even a little bit nicer, than Peggy Raymond. End of chapter 18